we're going to be thinking about this question, what does Jesus offer a 21st century student? And I want to begin by just acknowledging why we frame the question in that way. Uh, I want to admit, and I think our our church would want to admit, that at first glance, perhaps, uh, it might not necessarily seem like uh, Christianity has uh, a ton to offer uh, when it comes to how to maximize university life. I want to acknowledge that, okay? Most of you, if you were looking for how to make the most of Freshers Week, probably didn't go to your local vicar and ask them what they had as top tips, right? I want to acknowledge that. You know, uni is uh, freedom, freedom from parents, freedom from kind of school, and you're here to do your own thing. Maybe for the first time you're away from home. It's your student loan landing in, which will last you a couple of days at least, and you're living the dream. You can do what you want, and why on earth then would you want to kind of engage with something like Christianity, or religion, or a God? We understand that. I recognize that at first glance, if you look out onto the universities of our city, and you think, who's making the most of it? It doesn't always look like the Christians are. (laughs) I want to acknowledge that, okay? And yet, I want to also acknowledge this. In our church, in this room right now, there would be dozens of people who say that actually the opposite is true, that Jesus is someone they gladly follow at university, that even Jesus is someone who is the best thing about their life at university. There'd be dozens of people like that here. There'd be dozens of people in dozens of churches like that in our city this morning who say that actually we couldn't really even do life without Jesus. So I don't know what you think about it, uh, where you kind of sit on it. Maybe you came with a student today who is one of those kind of keen Christian types. And maybe you are a little bit confused how you feel about them. Maybe you admire them. You kind of, uh, in a way, maybe even envy their faith. You wish that you had something of their faith. But maybe you're sort of stuck between admiration and pity. (laughs) <laughs> like you you also think if they could just be a little bit less Christian, they'd probably enjoy uni 40% more if they could just shake a bit of that religion off. So why do many students bother with Jesus? That's what we're thinking about. And uh, the, there could be cards on the table. I'm a Christian. I've come to be a Christian. So I think there are like a million reasons why you would want to follow Jesus. But we uh, are going to try and hone it in on just three this morning that we think are particularly relevant to the student experience right now. And the plan is that uh, I'm going to take the first point. Uh, My my good friend Dan Sutherland here, who's a third-year student, is going to be, yeah, look at that, Uh, is going to be getting up and doing our second point, and then I'll come up at the end and wrap us up. And what we're going to try and suggest to you is that Jesus offers three things. He offers life to the full, he offers identity, and then he offers a way to change the world. That's what we're going to try and do. And then there's Q&A after, so you can pull us apart if you want to. Be nice to that. All right, come on. Yeah. So here's the first thing. I want to suggest to you uh, that Jesus offers life to the full. And I'm not making that up. That would be, in his own words, what he describes the impact that he wants to have in lives. He says this in a biography of his life by his friend John. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is his mission. That's his plan. That's his 
kind of vision statement up on the wall in his office. That's the reason that he gets up in the morning. He wants to bring life to the full. Now, if you could sum up the longings, the dreams, the hopes, the uh, cravings of every student at every uni in our city, I think life to the full would be a good summary of what we're after. Uh, And by life to the full, we don't mean a life that is full of activity. Uh, Many of you, (laughs) you think you're busy. You think your life is full of activity. It isn't art students, particularly you. With your, your four hours a week, okay, it's not, it's not full in that sense, but I was an arts student, so it's okay. Um, but life in its fullness, a, a, a richness to our lived experience, a satisfaction in life, we want that. And that there would be loads of different ways, loads of different routes that people at university would take to try and find life to the full. I don't know where you see yourself. There's the academic success route, the sex, drugs, rock and roll route, the experiences route. Whatever you go for, we're all different, but we're all the same because we all want a fulfilled life. If I asked you, what do you want to be at the end of the year? And, and you said miserable and empty, it would be a bit unusual. We all want the fulfilled life. But I've found that it is easier said than done to find this life. Uh, I was a student worker for five years, and it wasn't uncommon for me to find a very impressive, popular student who was left asking in a moment of rare honesty with me, is this it? Isn't there more to life than this? I thought I'd be loving it. I thought this would do the job, but somehow it's not satisfying me. Uh, I know when I was at university, not that long ago, but a while back, um, sometimes with my friends, this honesty would come at the end of a night out. Uh, It was normally because the night out had gone wrong in some way, and I'd be kind of carrying one of my flatmates home or whatever. uh, And and we'd get home, and we'd be having tea and toast in the dirty kitchen. And they would just let themselves be 10% more honest than they had been with me before. And they would say, I just don't know what I'm doing, actually. Is there not more than this? And then the morning would come, we wouldn't talk about it again. Maybe you've had those conversations. I know for me, when I was 19, uh, I uh, wasn't a Christian, and it was a time in my life where I was off experiencing very deliberately all of the things that you would think would bring you satisfaction. I was traveling, I was doing this, that, and the other, seeking very deliberately to now step into all the things that would bring me fulfillment, And a very alarming experience happened to me, which was that they didn't work. And that is quite an alarming thing. Maybe you've experienced it. Uh, Some people have described it like an old sailor back in the day, uh, dying of thirst, very thirsty, and in their thirst, taking a cup and plunging it into the sea and drinking to quench their thirst. This will do it. This will do it. But finding that as they quench their thirst, they become more thirsty even, and it hasn't quite done it. I reached that point, and it was then that I started to consider uh, Jesus' words here at the encouragement of a good mate, to consider that maybe in my search for life to the full, probably quite understandably, I hadn't really looked into Jesus. And he encouraged me to. And over a period of months, pretty much against my will, I started to discover something of the truth of these words. It turns out that Jesus offers not an easy life, and you know this, not the coolest life, but he offers one thing 
that he says we were all made for and that in and of ourselves we don't have. He puts it like this in a prayer to his father, to God, who he called father. He says this, that this is life that they know you, that they know you, God. Uh, Jesus claims that a truly satisfied, uh, enriched, fulfilled life is not found in an experience or in uh, accumulating possessions, but in a relationship, and not just any relationship, but a relationship with God, the, the person that Jesus called Father. Now, uh, you, I don't know what you believe. You don't have to agree with that as a statement. You can scoff at that, or you're like, that is fine. Permission granted. Uh, just to help us, I want to show you the logic quickly before I get Dan up for point two. just want to show you the logic of that idea. The logic is this, the Christian logic is this, that God is the one where all life comes from. He is the, the centerpiece which everything orbits around. He's the creative source of everything. He is the heartbeat. He brings life. He is life. And yet what every person has done is we have walked away from the God of life. And you might know that you've done that because you kind of did it aggressively. Or you might just think, no, I haven't. But you live without reference, without closeness to that God. We all do that. And in that, we become separated from God. You might say, that's not a big problem for me. I've got like fab and uni. That's fine. But if we are separated from this God, because he is the God of life, He's the source. He's the heartbeat. And we're far away from him and live without reference to him. Is it no wonder that sometimes we feel disconnected, that we feel unsatisfied, that we feel like, is there something more? It seems out of reach. It's like we've pulled ourselves out of the life source. And the lights go down. And we, we still have loads of great experiences. And they're good. They're not bad. And we still see lots and do lots and have lots. And that's not bad. That's good. But somehow we're not plugged in to the life source. Maybe you feel that. Now, there's author and atheist Julian Barnes who said this very tragic and profound thing. He said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And uh, maybe you do too. Maybe you don't believe in God, but maybe you find yourself missing him. That you sense the distance between you. You sense, ah, oh, I don't even believe in God, but I feel like there's something more. And what Jesus offers a 21st century student, or one thing, is not an easy life, but a way to be connected back to the life source. Jesus comes and he says, it doesn't matter how many things you've done that would get in the way of your relationship with God. He on the cross dies on the cross and takes all the punishment for all of our mess, all of our mistakes, which means that the way is open. And you can just come back to God. You can be you can be plugged back in to the life source because of Jesus. That's the first thing that Jesus offers. Life to the full because he plugs us back into God. Now, uh, can we give a warm welcome to my main man, Danny Boy?
Great. Um, Dan, as you can see, is a man I look up to in many ways, uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and everything. Um, Dan, quickly, do you want to just introduce yourself? If people don't know you, who are you? Tell us something about yourself. Yes, my name's Dan. Is this the right volume? Cool. I'm in my third year studying psychology, and I've been at Church Central for about two years now. Yeah. Great. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, getting to know Dan. Uh, This is a person who I can commend to you. The way he does his uni life, uh, I'm sure that's not perfect, but I want to commend this guy to you. He's a lovely man, and uh, I've had a sneak at his uh, content, and uh, he has something really to say to us this morning. So can we give him a big welcome and do our best to honour him? Dan, everybody! It's a joy and privilege sharing a stand with Rich, but the foot of height difference between us is really, <laughs> is really inconvenient. Um, <laughs> so while I was preparing for this talk, I was reflect, reflect, reflecting a little bit about how just strange an experience being a fresher is. And I was looking through photos of me as a fresher and found this absolute beautiful one, if we can get it up. Here's me with one of those grim pot pastas they leave in your room when you move in. And I want to spend the next few minutes just thinking about um, what the Christian vision of identity has to offer us as a student. Because identity is a unique topic for students because we have what may be a once-in-your-lifetime opportunity to recreate yours. Many of you may have moved to a new city where you'll find new friends, a new home, and so many genuinely wonderful opportunities. You're a stranger living with and meeting other strangers whilst you navigate new independence and how you use that. Whatever your identity was, where you have come from, you can arrive in Birmingham with a blank slate. Nobody around you knows what social groups you belong to, what your interests were, or how popular you were. The Radio 2 host Zoe Ball recently described how when she moved to university, she put posters of obscure French movies on her walls to try and seem more interesting. And whatever aspects of yourself you're dissatisfied with, this is surely your chance to change them. And this unique opportunity of a blank slate combines with our culture's utopian promise that your identity is something that you are responsible for constructing. You get to be the author of your own ideal self. And I don't know what your ideal self would be. Maybe it's academic success or being the most popular person at a party. The evidence shows that these are fundamental parts of who we are in a way that hasn't been true of previous generations. One survey by the Barna Group found that 43% of people from Gen Z, that's people born after 1999, described their professional or educational achievements as very important to my sense of self compared to just 21% of those from Gen X and Baby Boomers. That's those before 1983. Similarly, 35% of those from Gen Z described their friendships as very important to my sense of self, compared to 19% of Gen Xers and 22% of Baby Boomers. Our academic and educational achievements and our sense of friendships define who we are in a way that hasn't been true of previous generations. And maybe the label Christian's always been a part of your identity since you've grown up. Maybe that's something that you've grown up with as a family, but now you've got this fresh blank slate. That doesn't have to be part of who you are anymore. You get to decide whether that's a label that you continue to apply to your own identity. Your answer to the most basic human question of who am I doesn't have to be the same as it has been. And that wide gap between who you are and who you want to be, this is your once in a lifetime chance to bridge it and start again. Here's one quote that summarizes this view nicely. Life is not about finding yourself, it's about creating yourself. And maybe at first glance, that seems to be a beautiful promise. I know I arrived at university with my own ideas about how I, want, how I wanted to color my blank slate. I wanted straight first and popularity and societies and ambition, maybe just being a little bit smarter or a little bit more edgy. But with a bit more thinking, the utopianism of this promise starts to fade. 
let me try and explain what it is that I mean. An identity that I'm responsible for constructing is one where I'm responsible for its failures. If my success is who I am, then so is my failure. And if my popularity is my identity, then so is my loneliness. I didn't get straight firsts. My desire to be liked just meant I came to university pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. And my ambition often manifested as jealousy for the people's success where I should be celebrating it. The truth is that the identity that I aspire to is flawed. And even when it's not, I'm far too corrupted an individual to be the one responsible for its realization. One day you will miss your goals. And if your ability to meet those goals is the basis of who you are, then your identity will collapse alongside it. And it's here that I find I don't want to be responsible for constructing my identity anymore. And this is why I think the radically different biblical answer to the question of who am I is good news to a 21st century student. From its first page, the Bible paints an opposite picture, one in which the human identity is grounded in a secure source. In the claim that God created mankind in his own image that you find right at the start of the Bible, there's a rejection of many of the assumptions of identity that we take. Where culture might say that our identity is self-constructed, independent of any higher foundation, the Bible suggests that the essence of who we are is our reflections of the perfect identity of God. If something of your identity is going to be fixed and unchangeable, that's not a bad place to start. But as well as telling us something general about the identity of humankind, the Bible has radical things to tell us about our identity as individuals. In the Bible, God tells a prophet called Jeremiah that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I think it's easy to read that as a nice little quote and miss how profound the assumptions it's holding are. The assumption in this is firstly that even before we come into existence, there's something of us to be known at all. And secondly, that God is in some way responsible for the formation of who we are. That challenges all the ideas that we hold dear as 21st century students. And maybe it's just me, but at first I find that a disturbing idea. I don't want anything of who I am to be decided for me. But when I really take a look at how I navigated trying to build my own identity when I came to university, I realize that it's not the idea that there is some fixed essence of my identity that scares me. What scares me is the idea that the identity I'm stuck with isn't good enough and it's unchangeable. The promise of a blank slate isn't what seems beautiful in and of itself. What seems beautiful is the opportunity to redesign those parts of me that I'm insecure of. But the Christian vision of identity doesn't stop at suggesting that something of who we are is crafted by God. It describes us as God's masterpieces. In all of my mess and worries, my identity is fundamentally rooted in God's love for me. It's naive to think that if I can rewrite who I am, it will be any better than last time. What we need is the promise that whatever grades you get and however easy or hard you find it to make friends, it's not your identity that needs changing at all, because your identity is as loved by God, uniquely designed with a purpose. I'm going to end there and hand back, hand back to Rich with just this. Who are you? Who are you trying to be? Who are you wanting to be? And with so many ways to answer that question, Jesus offers this simple answer. You're loved by God, uniquely designed with a purpose. Okay, so what does Jesus offer to a 21st century student? He offers life to the full. He offers uh, a new sense of identity. And then lastly, I want to say that Jesus offers a way to truly change the world. 
Now, we've chosen this as a bit of a thing to talk about because um, the, the, the student community uh, in recent years has been at the forefront of uh, seeking to stand up and speak out against injustice. Uh, and whether you feel that you're that sort of student or not, the student community through protest uh, and through mobilizing large numbers of people to care very strongly about injustice has been one of the best things about the student community uh, worldwide, really. Uh, one stereotype of a student is kind of, you know, asleep in the afternoon, surrounded by pizza boxes and beer cans. I think a more accurate, but still a stereotype of a student is someone who is politically engaged, anti the status quo, willing to stand up and do something about injustice. And uh, that's always been the case with students. Uh, but right now, I would suggest that more than ever in the next few years, this is going to become even more of a thing uh, on our campuses because uh, students are going to be increasingly Generation Z or Gen Z, because Dan's cool and he says it like, he says it like that. Uh, Gen Z are coming up into our universities. And whereas previous generations have been willing to stay sleepy on matters of injustice, your generation it is one of the most beautiful things about you. You are not willing to stay sleepy on injustice, whether it's standing up and speaking out against sexism or against uh, acts of microaggression to those of ethnic minorities, human trafficking, uh, racism in our institutions, or climate change, your generation is leading the way in so many ways because of your sense of cause. And uh, you might be, therefore, fair to ask, why on earth would our generation need Jesus? Previous sleepy generations who don't care about anything or don't care about injustice, and they're broad stereotypes, but who are asleep to some of these massive injustices in our world, surely they would need a religion to wake them up and give them something to, to follow. But your generation is the least Christian generation for ages, and yet the most awake to injustice. And yet it's often the church that seems quite sleepy, <laughs> doesn't it? So what does Jesus have to offer to someone who cares about injustice and wants to change our world? I want to suggest it's this, that Jesus is uniquely able to deal with not only the awful symptoms of brokenness around us in our world, but also the source of the brokenness. Understand the basic category difference between those two ideas, the symptom and the source or the cause. Symptom, I've got a headache. My head hurts. Treatment, painkiller. Okay? But the source, I'm dehydrated. Uh, or I've got a tumor in my brain. You see, there is a symptom, but underneath that, often unseen, is a source. And right now, your generation is awake rightly, to many symptoms of brokenness in our world. And you do not, please hear me, do not need to be a Christian to stand up and spot and speak out against the symptoms of brokenness and do an awful lot of good in our world. But what is the source of those things that we would rage against, those injustices? What is behind institutionalized racism? What is behind overconsumption of our environment? What is behind human trafficking? It's a really alarming answer. Do you know what is behind those things? Human beings are behind those things. As much as we wouldn't want to think that, human beings are behind those things. It's people. And so to see the world transformed 
really transformed, we need to see worldwide people transformed. At the core of who they are, so that rather than simply being told by legislation that they should lower their consumption as a business, so that at the core of who they are, they actually prioritize and care more about other people than they do about their profits. So that worldwide, there would genuinely be a new sense of, I don't need to be superior to people from other ethnicities. I see their dignity. I am blessed by their presence. So that they are genuinely transformed. So that someone doesn't simply have to stop human trafficking because they get caught in the act. (laughs) But that they do not want to do that. To see the world transformed, we need to see people transformed. We need a revolution not simply of information, but of transformation. Because the symptoms of brokenness in our world ultimately flow from brokenness in people, in us. Jesus says it like this uh, in another biography of his life. He says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. That actually the evils in our world flow out of us. That is a sobering thought. One person put it like this. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Now imagine if you care about injustice. If you're a 21st century student who wants to change the world, imagine with me for a second If those making the decisions that affect the poorest in our society had their hearts changed from the inside, that they were different, that they were genuinely self-sacrificial, imagine that. Imagine if, if everyone in here experienced that transformation. Imagine if everyone at your university experienced that transformation. Imagine if you experienced that transformation. And that is what Jesus offers a new heart, transformation from the inside out. Centuries before Jesus was born, uh, God anticipated what Jesus would do. And he said this, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Can you imagine with me as I finish? A movement of transformed people heading out across our city, and our world with the good news that through the forgiveness and grace of God, we can be changed at the core of who we are and then join in the mission of seeing others transformed at the core of who they are. And that is Christianity. Or at least it is supposed to be Christianity. It should not be the case that someone who passionately cares about injustice looks at the church and says, well, they're just asleep. The church should be an army of love heading out across this planet. Not simply and not only to treat the symptoms, though we want to do that, but to see the source, human beings transformed for good.